and then we will all be happy and safe. I want people to be happy and safe. I just don't trust them to arrive on it on their own. <laughs> I mean, have you seen what they do? Right. People are awful. <laughs> Look out the window. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous DMV in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 175 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about the lawful neutral alignment, and probably getting into an argument. But first the rogue traders hope to get a good planet in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later the hardhead crack skulls in the name of order and justice, I guess, in the character creation forge. So Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Elderwood Academy, who are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. All of their products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codexes, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. Which means they look pretty cool. So one thing that they have on there that I think would be a fantastic gift for the holidays is the spellbook game boxes. Have you seen these, Ishan? I'm going to go look at them right now. I see them here on this website that I'm guessing is in the show notes. It is in the show notes. <laughs> oh, uh, I yes. see. Okay, yeah, yeah. They're like wooden boxes that are made to look like uh, books or um, tomes, right? Um, but inside you choose like what uh, foam like insert you want and they have a variety of them but they can hold things like dice uh pens spell cards uh miniatures all types of different configurations based on what stuff you use at your game table um you can even customize it to add text along the spine um you get to choose like the leather binding color and the color of the wood as well as an icon that gets uh, embossed on it oh look at that there's rich mahogany indeed you could have your character in rich mahogany with burgundy felt um, you know, that sounds really nice, but my minis don't smell very good. Neither do my dice, but that's for different reasons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, you could get new dice from Elderwood Academy too, if you really need them. <laughs> but I don't want to dirty those up. You could get a pound of Chessex dice for like, I don't know, 79 cents. True. And then you could, you could actually put them in your game box. Four sets. That's one of the configurations. Is that what we're calling it now? A game box? Sure. Yeah. yeah let's do that. Um, I think I would probably, if I was going to get, like if I was going to make the investment for a game box, I would get multiple inserts so that I could uh, configure it on the fly depending on, you know, my day's activities. You could, you could hot swap it based on whether you need spell cards or whether you need two minis because you're playing a druid That's or exactly five it. minis because you're playing a druid. I mean, these days I'm pretty much always playing a druid. You're right. about to play your first druid. I might play a druid, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're thinking about it. I'm leaning pretty heavily towards it. You're like, eh, this is kind of broken. All right. I, it, has, it has nothing to do with that. I might play a Dreaming <laughs> Druid. Really? Uh-huh. Anyway. Interesting. You can find the Spellbook Game Box as well as all the other awesome Elderwood Academy products at elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split. Yeah, tell them DSPN sent you. Speaking of a dubious reference, Shane... Where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? I believe we have just gotten a dubious reference from Lord Captain Duhan Roth. Yeah, so the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And having escaped the Deadworld Malajact and the Yoke of the Inquisition, the Rogue Traders lick their wounds on their way to a new location, Iblis Prime. Yes, mm, these wounds taste like uh, chaos. And heresy. Mm-hmm. So this is part of the deal that you cut with uh, with your rival rogue trader, Duhan Roth, if you recall. Uh, you entered a joint venture on a young colony world that he was attempting to establish. Uh, you are taking it over and attempting to run it for maximum profits. Yeah, I think, it, what is it, for five years? No, yeah, for five years, we split the profits 50-50? After you're inducted into the Imperium. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. But then right. we get the whole thing to ourselves. Correct. Assuming it has not been exterminatist. <laughs> Correct. Through no fault of our own. Of, of course not. <laughs> All right. So tell us about this planet, because um, if I remember, it didn't actually exist in the game. 
yet. No. Um, yeah, so narratively what happened is you were uh, making a quick exit from Malajact and didn't have any time to get briefed by Roth, so he instead provided a stack of data slates, um, which you then took the flight um, through the Imperium to Iblis Prime. Uh, you spent that time um, recovering from your injuries and then reading up on the planet from those data slates. Uh, in real in real world terms, um, we use the planet generation system from the Stars of Iniquity supplement to create it as a group at the table, um, and that system gives you lots of tables. Yeah, so I guess in game it was sort of like we all sit around a nicely appointed ready room, each looking at different data slates and going, "Oh, huh, this is an interesting thing about this planet we're going to," and then. At our session, we're like, okay, I'm going to roll some dice and like we'll look up on the table. Like, what is it that we figured out about this planet? Right. Yeah. What have you learned about? Well, it starts actually with the system. Um, the system oh, yeah, of yeah. Iblis, right? Which is a yellow star similar to the Terran sun. Um, and then it has two habitable planets, Iblis Prime and Iblis Binary. Um, there is an unexplored planet closer to the sun and an asteroid cluster on the far outer reaches. Basically, Ross operations are on Iblis Prime. And all of that information was basically randomly generated. I mean, we made a few decisions that told us what table to roll on, but then we were randomly rolling, making a few minor skill checks here and there. Yep. So let's talk about Iblis Prime, because obviously that's where the action is going to take place. You know, it's got a moderate atmosphere and a hot climate, which I'm glad of. You know, we were just on a desert, but uh, it wasn't exactly comfortable. <laughs> right it's a less dead atmosphere i'll tell you that <laughs> there's less glass <laughs> so iblis prime is actually uh, made up of a single supercontinent and it has a vast southern jungle an equatorial mountain range that surrounds an inland sea and then a northern plain at an extremely high altitude so we zoomed in on each of those areas and figured out what was actually there um that southern jungle we named the Gilded Canopy because it turned out it was a, a yellow-orange living jungle full of Xenos ruins and, huh, most interesting to us, exploitable industrial minerals. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also an apex predator in the jungle called the Emerald Stalker that's basically invisible, which is most, less cool. Most interesting to me yeah. <laughs> is, is that Emerald Stalker. <laughs> Why was it called the Emerald Stalker if it was invisible? So, <laughs> interesting. Uh, I think it had to become invisible. It had to evolve invisibility because it's green in a yellow jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Which might have just been the alcohol talking at the table. Don't dwell on that. <laughs> so, there are humans who live in small settlements on the fringes. They're basically fighting back the jungle itself in order to secure their borders. Like, they're lighting the jungle on fire, but the jungle grows back almost as quickly. Right. Um, then the Ring of Fire is the range of super hot mountains and volcanoes um, that surround an inland sea called the Boiling Brine. Oh, um, great. Uh-huh. Wait, yeah. We named these things, didn't we? <laughs> we did, yeah. <laughs> uh, rumors suggest that there's an exotic super metal that might be mineable there uh, if you can you know, navigate the caverns left behind by all of the lava flows. Uh, and it is also the home of a poisonous predator called a blunderhoof. Uh, yes, yet another man-eating predator. Um, I'm beginning to suspect this planet is not awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. But don't worry, there are the cloud barons, that high-altitude uh, plane that we spotted. There are limited resources there, however. Um, it does. It is rumored, though, to be the home of Eldar Exodites and something called a chimera. I'm sure it doesn't eat people. No, of course not. Why it eats it Eldar that? Exodites, and we taste nothing like Eldar. <laughs> right. Um, then the last uh, the last thing that we generated was the Watchtower, which is a low-orbit HAB station that provides for like planetary defenses. Um, in reality, like it, it can't really shield the whole planet, um, so it mostly serves as like a trade depot that imposes tariffs um, on any like traffic in the system. Um, you know. They, uh, they can't stop you from landing, but they could definitely cause headaches. Okay, so let's explain to our dear listeners what was actually going on here, right? Like, there were the tables. We would make you know, a check here or there to, you know, see if we could interpret the data slate uh, properly. And then we were, we were rolling and kind of going, like, big money, big money. Like, give me some natural resources. Give me some, like, uh, precious metals. Uh, let, let, let me see some 
uh, like easy uh, jungle canopy, uh, some lumber, uh, no apex predators, no apex predators. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it, actually, the way we did it is you would roll a skill check, and if you succeeded on the skill check, then you got to roll twice and choose. Um, and if you failed, then you just got to roll. And I think if you failed miserably, then you got to roll twice and I chose. Um, but these things are very heavily biased towards death world anyway. So that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say was near the end of this session, we were like, why is it? Why have we had such miserable, horrible luck? I got to choose two and yet it was just like six or one half dozen deaths. Right. And it's because, yes, the charts are just how to create a death world. <laughs> well, they're not all. I mean, this isn't. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so here we are. We own a death world, uh, which in 40K parlance is a world that has evolved to kill humanoids. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Now we live here. So with that overview of the planet in hand, uh, the rogue traders then turn their attention to the site of Roth's base of operations, the city of Meridian, which is a small city clinging to the fringes of the gilded canopy. Yet another terrible planet. Perfect. We'll find out what we do here next week. So this week, we are continuing our series on the nine alignments. And now we're talking about lawful neutral the neutralist of the alignments the most lawfully neutral of all the alignments all right so shane what is alignment so alignment is the classic two axis good evil law chaos um nine box alignment system within you know D. right so quick overview uh there's Good and evil, law and chaos, you put those two axes together, you get nine boxes. Um, we're mostly talking about active alignments, not passive alignments. Like, uh, you know, you are actually dedicated to a particular alignment. You you're, you don't just, like, not care. Um, so if you're lawful, you believe in order and duty and reliability. You can't just do whatever you want or society's going to fall apart. The flip side of that is chaos, which means you believe in personal freedom, flexibility, and self-expression. Uh, you believe that mindless obedience and deference to authority just crushes the spirit. If you're good, you believe in altruism, respect for life, and compassion. A good person will go out of their way to help others, even if it might result in harm to themselves. And that's contrasted by evil, which is, of course, selfish, uh, a willingness to inflict harm or to oppress. Uh, it means you'll seek personal gain, even if it actively harms others. All right, so put them together, you get nine alignments. Now we're talking about lawful neutral, Batman's alignment. Indeed. Shane, can you describe lawful neutral? Uh, So lawful neutral is a belief in order above all else, whether it be through a personal code or the posted laws of the land. Yeah, it is untainted by ideas of morality or immorality, good and evil. We are simply on the lookout for order. Right. So uh, a a couple ways that this manifests. One, I think lawful neutral often places an importance on authority. Um, there's a, a fundamental belief there that rules and laws give order to society, which is more important than the individual good or evil of a, of a situation, right? You can strip out the good and evil context. Um, sort of the idea is like, if we're going to have a, a, an orderly society, then you've got to crack a few eggs, right? Yes, it might hurt some good people and it might help some bad people, but overall it's better for everybody to have order. Have you ever noticed that any person who ever says you've got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet uh, is never speaking when they are one of the eggs. Uh, no true. one's ever been like, you know what? Some good people have to suffer and, and, you know, maybe that's me. You know, in fact, it is me right now and I'm fine with this. Well, that's what precipitates an alignment change, Ishan. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we all have heard or know people like this, uh, people who uh, like the system Um understand that the system may not be perfect but they think it's certainly much better than you know not having a system or like going against uh the tenets that have already been laid out by people who probably know much more than we do right so keep in mind that this is not lawful good um that means that lawful neutral probably won't make exceptions to do the right thing Uh, but it's also not lawful evil it means lawful neutral characters won't blindly accept evil or corrupt authority either uh, it's also not lawful stupid, <laughs> meaning 
lawful neutral probably isn't accepting incompetent authorities either. If you consistently do things wrong, uh, lawful neutral characters will likely replace you. Yeah, and you know, ideally there is a there are proper channels through which uh, you overthrow your superiors. Uh, but if those don't exist, then yeah, you know, it's better to have a quick, short, disorderly coup. And right. then get, get back to, you know, the proper business of like keeping things in uh, where they're supposed to go, then uh, keep limping along, not really knowing what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Imagine a leader so incompetent that the law is no longer useful. That's going to yeah. be the nightmare to a lawful neutral character. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> what would that be like? <laughs> I don't know. It'd be, it'd be bigly bad. <laughs> Um, another another permutation of lawful neutral is the strong adherence to the personal code. Um, so this is uh, a lot of times, I think, associated with monks, but uh, it's where you follow a personal code above external rules or laws, you know, something that you might inherit from an organization, um, like a, a knightly order or a monastic temple or religion, something like that. Yeah, this is important for characters who are existing sort of outside the confines of civilization. Um, or, you know, who don't have the opportunity to be uh, part of a large bureaucracy. Like, you could be out in the wilderness among, like, the Carrion tribes, and if you're still lawful neutral, you prefer things to be in a particular order, Um, you want to place things into a hierarchy, you you may look at the untamed wilderness and say, well, it's time to tame this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it might just be, like, you know, personal discipline that you uh, demand, right? Right. the right way of doing things that you won't deviate from right you could be a fuddy-duddy i think what's important about this um specifically being distinct from more chaotic alignments is that while you might be breaking the law of the land um it's being informed by a code that you hold in higher authority it's not really you're not ignoring like the law of the land from like a desire for freedom from laws. It's just that you have laws that supersede whatever is kind of common practice. Yeah, I think this works nicely for um, like a far wanderer, a character who's maybe from elsewhere. Uh, You could be lawful neutral, uh, but not really necessarily recognize the authority of the land that you're currently in because you recognize the uh, authority of the land you came from. Right. Or in the case of like religious zealots you know the authority of my deity over your lesser heathen deity i'm a paladin of saint cuthbert Uh, (laughs) you know paylor's nice and all and i know i'm currently in his church but saint cuthbert (laughs) one interesting aspect of these types of characters is that uh there's a certain kind of outlook where the law is what creates equality uh, nobody is above the law, and if we all adhere to the law and do what we're supposed to be doing, then that means that it actually prevents tyranny. Um, it, it prevents people from oppressing other people. Yeah, this is like the Judge Dread outlook, right? <laughs> like where you have to hold your superiors and your inferiors uh, to account under the law. Yeah, it also is a nice way for a character to excuse some of their own actions, which uh, some people may have moral issues with, because it is, of course, for the greater good. You know, we're going to stamp out this insurrection with no regard to the safety of the citizenry, because it's better in the long run. Right. We can murder a few protesters. So the last aspect of, of lawful neutral that's worth highlighting is the idea of being the lawmaker. So uh, as you kind of alluded to with characters sort of out in like untamed wilderness or in sort of like less civilized areas, right? The idea that there is no orderly system here. So uh, as a lawful neutral character, I should try to establish rules and laws and order on this sort of chaos. Yeah. You know, one thing I really like about lawful neutral characters is, I mean, you know, for pretty much every character, everyone is the hero of their own story. And this goes for lawful neutral characters as well. Um, the uh, reasoning behind their outlook is often, I I want things to be good. You know, I want people to be happy. I, I want people to be safe. Uh, but the way that it uh, plays out in their lives is, Everyone just needs to do what I tell them to do or what we are told to do. Right. (laughs) And then we will all be happy and safe. 
I want people to be happy and safe. I just don't trust them to arrive on it on their own. <laughs> I mean, have you seen what they do? Right. People are awful. <laughs> Look out the window. <laughs> All right. So what are some reasons that people out there might want to play a lawful neutral character? I mean, they do sound a little bit like a fuddy-duddy. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that could be fun, though, right, is to kind of explore those conflicts between your personal relationships and ties and the codes um, that you hold yourself to and then, like, the legal authorities or, or um, you know, rules of the places that you're in. Yeah, I think this is something that uh, sometimes gets lost on maybe newer players or... Um people who gravitate toward the sort of the flashier alignments like chaos is obvious you know oh i get to do whatever i want whenever i want and and good i think a lot of people are naturally drawn to like being the protector of the downtrodden and you know a shining knight and evil of course you know i mean who doesn't want to be the murder hobo every once in a while but being able to sort of play off the expectations of a you know often chaotic society or you know the the chaos of combat um or being a character who actually wants to uphold sort of byzantine or or arcane laws or uh, mores or traditions can be a lot of fun especially when you're in a party of people who just do not understand why you want to do those things right yeah i mean in some ways like this is almost the most natural character, I think, for most people. It's just like most people just go along with what they're told. Oh, like in real life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you don't break laws. You don't necessarily go out of your way to hurt or harm people, right? It's just you just kind of exist. Um, and then you occasionally have to deal with like those quandaries. That's a very like human experience, um, which I think is important to have like kind of that straight man character in a group who isn't necessarily always stirring the pot, but some sometimes has to deal with like the outcome of those stirring, right? Like you generate the personal conflict uh, when you have to manage like, well, what is our rogue doing? And what is like the prince think? And what happens to all the people who are going to be affected by this? Yeah. It's a really nice unlikely hero. You know, someone who wasn't necessarily called to it, but finds themselves thrust into it. And now they sort of need to navigate uh, what happens when their orderly society has, uh, when it's not panning out as they expected. You know, I fully expected I was just going to go to work today. And now here I am. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. Uh, (laughs) Yes, John McClane. (laughs) What a timely seasonal reference. Uh, or, Or, you know, like Sherlock Holmes, right? Like people who just want to do their one thing and they're very good at it and they just don't want to be concerned with all this other like claptrap. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, that's actually, that's, that's a good point because lawful neutral gets that piece of it, which is deal with all of the conflict that comes from having this sort of belief system. Um, it's also a way of just like streamlining your decision-making, right? Like if you establish a code for your character that that's pretty clear and, and is pretty solidified in your mind, like then you don't have to go through all the moral quandaries and you don't have to consider all of the conflicts because like I have a code, I'm lawful neutral, I follow the code, right? Like unless you go to the crazy extreme on one side or the other, like I'm just going to do what my what what's prescribed for my code. And that can be like a simplified game experience um, that I think like lets other people deal with that conflict, right? And like lets you create some of that, um, but keeps your gameplay very simple. So that could be the the opposite side. It's also a nice place to start uh, for a character arc uh, because if you need a reason to join the party or to pick up a particular plot hook, all the GM has to do is say, yeah, uh, an authority figure told you to do it. You were assigned to do this, so go do it. (laughs) Right. Why am I? Why am I out here? This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm a barrister, good sir. <laughs> I mean, speaking of being the barrister, like there's also the appeal of you are the law, right? Like you are playing as an authority figure who has a place in the hierarchy. Um, like whether that's like a, a cop or like a constable or even just like a bureaucrat, 
right? Like a mid-level politician type of thing. Like you still have a place in the established order. Like that can be fun to see what how that authority plays out. Yeah, I love all the different ways that lawful neutral can play out because they often don't agree with each other because they can't agree on like which of the laws we're supposed to be following or like what the hierarchy is supposed to be. Like right. we agree one of us is supposed to be in charge. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be me and you're pretty sure it's supposed to be you. Um, this stri- strikes me as I was writing this that like brand probably like moved between neutral good and lawful neutral more than anything. I know I mean, you guys do- kept- dodged around lawful good. <laughs> oh, imagine <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly. He wasn't lawful good. <laughs> like I'm supposed to be lawful good, but I just can't. <laughs> So along with those reasons to play, right, I think they all have natural, like, corollary reasons that that, that character would go out adventuring, right? Uh, as we talked about at the top, the idea of changing the world to bring order to lawless places, right? Um, that's like a classic Western concept uh, as well as, like, the, you know, you become the U.S. Marshal because, like, the people of this town deserve better, right? We can't be dealing with bandits and cowboys, yeah, I mean, how else is the mail going to get delivered? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's very important. Uh, yeah, Manifest Destiny is, you know, basically a, a lawful neutral ideal. Right. You know, C to Shining Sea. I said one C to the other C, okay? We're not there yet, so we go. Um, another good one, um, as far as reasons for adventuring, is that your code or a law demands it. Like, in the real world, we have certain countries have mandatory military service, right? Um, a similar concept could exist in a fantasy world um, or even just like a need for um, redemption or penance or a, a need to prove yourself. You know, all of those types of things could be part of your system of belief that you need to then go um, perform. Yeah, a lawful neutral outlook, I think, can definitely be the result of uh, some sort of life where previously you were not lawful neutral. Perhaps you were uh, very uh, chaotic and you had some sort of epiphany or, you know, you had a jailhouse conversion Mm -hmm. and then realized, ah, yes, my old ways were not the right ways. And now, now I need to go out and prove that I'm the most lawfulist of anyone (laughs) out there. Exactly. So another thing that we always like to talk about with alignment episodes is the moral dilemmas that characters of a given alignment might face over the course of gameplay. Yeah, lawful neutral doesn't leave you a whole lot of wiggle room, does it? You know, like, there are the rules. You follow the rules. Right. Well, (laughs) I uh, I think you run into moral dilemmas because you are so, like, so neutral (laughs) you know it's like when you have when you when you have a case where following the rules will force you to act like greatly immorally um or when when doing the morally right thing requires you to break the rules you run into the same sort of moral dilemma of what should you do right like how how important are the rules versus the context of this individual situation like um you know when enacting the rules is unfairly punishing the poor um, or the suffering or something like that, right? Is it necessary to continue enforcing those rules or should you maybe bend the rules, you know, not, uh, not take that street urchin to jail for stealing a loaf of bread for their family. Right. And then when they try to break out of jail, give them another 10 years and then another 10 years. Right. Yeah. Maybe if they try to steal some silver candlesticks, you just give them the candlesticks just this one time. Who knows what could come of it? Just don't give them that lamp. <laughs> yeah, I think anyone who's ever done any kind of coding understands uh, when like a a law or a rule goes awry when it was written just slightly wrong. Um, you sort of follow it to its uh, natural conclusion. And, oh, the law says that we're supposed to, you know, deduct another 10% of your pay. Uh, oh, but then it says... Because of this, it's another 10%. Oh, wait, you don't make any money. This is indentured servitude now, technically speaking, according to the way this law is written. It's a poorly written law, and I can see that because I, good sir, am a barrister. Do I enforce this or do I let you slide? I'm confused. Right. Or the flip side of that is what if the person with authority who is giving you a lawful order is corrupt or incompetent or just, you know, evil? Um, how far do you go in 
acting out that command um, before you have to stop. Yeah, I love when you have the lawful neutral character who is thrown off both by the lawful evil character and the lawful good character because both of them use the law to their own ends. Right, The lawful evil character is subverting the law or twisting it um, but that causes chaos. You know, that puts too many resources in one hand or, you know, um, lets murderers get away and now, now people aren't safe in their homes. But the lawful good character, at least from the lawful neutral perspective, is also perhaps letting people get away with, uh, you know, small minute crimes. And now, you know, we, we have a pickpocket problem or the uh, corporations aren't secure that the, their grain warehouses will be uh, completely safe. It's all chaos. All these church alms are just inflating the economy. If poor people can afford things. How will people know where they stand in society? Right. <laughs> what a British point of view. <laughs> in America, our original sin is race. In Britain, it's class. <laughs> right. So another moral dilemma that you can run into as a lawful neutral character is when you have multiple codes coming into conflict. You know, things like, do you follow your personal code over the law of the land? Or uh, do you allow the law of the land to override your personal feelings and personal code? Um, or like, for example, something that is illegal in your home might not be illegal here. And how do you deal with that? Yeah. Well, what if you are that paladin of St. Cuthbert? but you are now sent as a diplomatic envoy to a nation that is ruled by a lich, which I think in canon there are several of those. Oh, yeah. This, it turns out you can barely throw a stone without hitting a nation ruled by a lich. St. <laughs> Cuthbert says, kill the undead uh, again. <laughs> Secretly devoted to Asmodeus? Weird. Uh, yeah, I'm supposed to smite anyone who's devoted to Asmodeus, aren't I? Right. Uh, oh, wait, but I am also supposed to work out a trade agreement? Uh-oh. No, right. <laughs> Maybe I can trade swings of my sword for them getting hit by my sword. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do wonder <laughs> that idea, right? It's like, okay, but if you purge a certain number of undead as a part of this agreement, like your laws have granted citizenry to those undead. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I mean, I'll just raise them again. But yeah, sure, sure, that sounds great. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll turn them, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> set us back about i don't know two weeks oh this trade deficit is terrible i'm taking more hits to the face than i am dealing out all right so i think most of the fun of a lawful neutral character is in your interactions with other characters who don't necessarily see eye to eye with you which let's be honest is probably most people well, at least most people that you run into in a fictional story. Like, in in, a, like a, most, in an RPG, people, yeah. Yeah, most people that get <laughs> right. names. <laughs> right. Not the uh, people who are just living out their lives who were like, you know, I could be an adventurer or I could be happy with my three silver pieces a day. Yeah, most people capable of self-determination in the plot. <laughs> so let's start with authority figures. Um, how do lawful neutral characters interact with with authority? I mean, I think in general, these are your favorite people, right? These are the people who are supposed to tell you what to do, and then you just do it. That's wonderful. Right. I mean, I think the exceptions to that are when authority figures prove to be weak, um, meaning unable to actually enforce the law, or unworthy, meaning they're either corrupt or incompetent, or um, I think unwilling to enforce the law um, in those kind of exceptional cases. Yeah, weirdly, it's very hard to come by a benevolent dictator. Huh. Yeah. And these can be some of the most compelling interactions or maybe even most compelling villains for your game if you're playing a lawful neutral character. You know, someone who, you know, everything inside you is is telling you that you should obey this person, that you should listen to them, that this is, you know, this is the person who's supposed to be making these decisions, whether that's divine right or, you know, elected mandate, whatever. But you can see that they are doing something terrible. Do you fix that? Is that even your place to fix it? All right, so how about enemies? So I think you've got to treat your enemies based on the laws and customs and codes that you're coming from, right? So whatever, however you evaluate it is who you judge to be your enemy. Um, and then that tends to have an implication of how you treat them. 
right? Like you may be required to offer, you know, nonviolent resolution and never strike the first blow. Um, I feel like that's probably like a very lawful neutral monk thing to do. Um, on the flip side, like if they are deemed to like meet the criteria of enemy combatants, perhaps you're not required to offer any quarter at all. Um, you can fight to the death regardless. Um, and, and that's the legal authority that you have. So I think this is one where like your personal feelings of an enemy are going to be rather limited. Um, you're mostly just going to do what you're allowed to. Yeah, and this can get a little convoluted uh, depending on what kind of authority you submit to. Um, sort of like paladins, you get into the situation where, you know, maybe you are always required to take prisoners if possible. You know, so if someone suddenly surrenders, the lawful neutral character along with the lawful good character is the one who's like, ah, ah you like, you said the magic words. You said I surrender and now I can't kill you. Right, Crap, right. Crap, we are in the middle of a dungeon. <laughs> and now I have to like, tie your hands and i didn't take use rope right and i've got to like give you rations right (laughs) treat you to the same standard we would treat our wounded i yeah i think i have to give you my rations (laughs) i have one healing potion here right take it (laughs) of course you know you're just looking for them to slip up just once just one time just a little bit yeah just slip up down that pit trap yeah then i can take you out oh Uh Uh-oh. I think you're technically out of my jurisdiction because you're two levels below me now. Um, How about the interactions between lawful neutral and chaotic characters? I mean, the first response is probably to sort of look down on them or or maybe, you know, a a bit of a sneer like, uh, that's very loud and unruly. Um, This is what I've been trying to get away from in the first place. But, you know, here we are out in the wilderness or, you know, we're on the same side in fighting. I mean, once you actually get sort of into into the fray, uh, a good sword arm is worth much more than, you know, being neat and tidy. You probably judge them based on their actions uh, while you're out adventuring rather than, you know, their beliefs or what they feel about why we're fighting. Right. Yeah, this is this is the character you're probably most inclined to have like a philosophical debate with. But at the end of the day, it's about what they do, not what they think. Yeah, it's uh, nice that the rogue is capable of a little beanie, a little breaking and entering. You know, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that at all. You know, in fact, don't tell me about it. I don't want to hear anything about that. Right, because if you tell me about it, then I, I am obligated to take an action. But if no crime is ever reported, well, then that's just the system at work. In fact, if you have convinced the shopkeeper not to press charges, I am unable to do anything at all. Nothing I can do here. Um, I think it's also interesting to think like about how your character seeks to understand chaotic inclined people. So like as somebody who lives through a code and a set of rules and like clear cut, like if X, then Y, like I would imagine that a lawful neutral character is probably trying to understand a chaotic person by creating a set of rules, broader rules that that person lives by. Right. So like recognizing like, Oh yes. Uh, he thinks freedom is important. This is why he always avoids commitments and restraints or, or constraints, I guess. Um, or like she would respect authority, but she's just never met authorities that weren't corrupted. You know, she, she maybe doesn't even realize that there is good authority. Yeah. There's probably a lot of room for like benevolent condescension. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I like you. You're a good person. And that's how I know that you're really just misguided. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I could see trying to like convert the sort of like whimsical properties, uh, like decision-making properties of like chaotic characters. I could see a lawful neutral person really like struggling with that and trying to make some sense of order around it. Even when it really is like, Oh no, the bard just does things at random (laughs) (laughs) because he is flighty (laughs) and (laughs) like desperately devoid of long-term memory. (laughs) Yeah, there's some nice opportunities for, you know, just being like flabbergasted and frustrated. Like, all right, okay, you cook with reckless abandon. That's wonderful. And just wherever the mood takes you. But once you hit on something that tastes good, shouldn't you just keep doing that each time? (laughs) (laughs) We could just have good meals every day. But vanilla ice cream (laughs) is delightful. (laughs) Oh, fudge. No, Mm, too decadent. (laughs) 
Um, I think compared to good and evil characters, on the other hand, lawful neutral tends to have just a much simpler view of morality. Like they don't really embrace altruism or selfishness. So things are uh, much more in the middle. Yeah, it's um, it's not even necessarily selfish, although it can be. It's more solipsistic. Like, I'm not looking for people to help. I'm not looking for rights to wrong. But neither am I looking for opportunities for a big score. You know, like, right. if you drop your wallet, um, I mean, if it's not out of my way or if it comes into my possession, I will return it to you because it is your rightful property. You know, I'm not going to take it. I'm certainly not going to pick a pocket. But if you're down on your luck... I mean, that's certainly not my responsibility. In fact, I have other responsibilities that I need to attend to that I can't let fall to the wayside just to help you. Right. In terms of other people, there's there's a practical amount of leniency that you're going to be showing toward people with good or evil alignments. I mean, as long as they're you know not going you know far beyond the pale, like you know breaking open the prisons to release people they suspect to be innocent, uh, or you know murdering people and taking their stuff, then you know it's probably fine. So, in terms of the other party members, uh, one thing about lawful neutral characters is I think they tend to be more direct in how they approach problems than underhanded, um, and as a corollary, right. They just have more trouble justifying breaking the law than the average player character. Yeah, non-lawful characters care less about the law itself as a principle. Lawful good characters will do it to save or to help someone. Lawful evil characters will do it for themselves or if there's some benefit. But if you're lawful neutral, well, I mean, you're not going to do it to help yourself. Mm, You're not going to do it to help others or to hurt others. So often you're sort of going, uh, hmm... I'm going to need a going to need a re- good reason here. Yeah, exactly. Can we fill out the requisite forms? Can we get approval for this operation? <laughs> oh, wait, we do. We do. We do. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> huh. That looks forged. Weird. I'll accept it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take insight. <laughs> right. So, uh we're kind of joking about them but uh some of the pitfalls that you can run into with lawful neutral um it definitely prone to lawful stupid mm-hmm. um you can end up going down a really frustrating path with uh with somebody who's too devoted to this philosophy um just keep in mind right like the idea of just following orders has very obvious practical limits um kind of you know follow orders but keep the game moving forward Right, like, if you look at Bilbo Baggins, I, I know for some reason they, like we list hobbits as like chaotic or whatever, but, you know, he wanted to stay in his hole and not do anything. He didn't want to go anywhere. He liked food at the same time every single day. Uh, but when dwarves showed up at his house, he left with them and went on an adventure. Like, pick up those plot hooks. You know, you can you can go kicking and screaming. That is 100% fine. That's actually part of the fun of it, is mm-hmm. to, you know, like... Uh, adventure under duress i don't know about this (laughs) are you sure well um you do seem to be the leader of this outfit so uh, i i guess i'll go along for now but you know i really do need to be back in time to for my exams right (laughs) um and then the other thing is just be careful that you don't become the fun police it's not fun if everybody has to pretend to be lawful just because you're in the party um you know as you mentioned like lawful good and lawful evil both have sort of overrides of morality um lawful neutral doesn't have that so if you end up being too forceful of a of a character you can end up just like forcing the rest of the group to follow along your way yeah i think actually lawful neutral like you sort of have the benefit of not having to put your foot down on things necessarily like the good character can't let you kill innocent people you know, and the the evil character like really needs a reason to even come along and help other people. But you like you can argue forcefully from a principled position with everyone else. But if everyone else is on board, then that's kind of been a vote, you know, and you've been outvoted. And the lawful neutral character understands that the majority does rule often. So, all right, I, I guess we're going along with this plan, even though I would like the record to show I think it is a terrible plan. And also, it is highly illegal. (laughs) 
could we just get this in writing here? Uh, can you just say you kidnapped me? Right. <laughs> it's a violation of four local ordinances and three state laws to set a boat on fire. <laughs> and that's fun characterization. Just don't necessarily stop everyone from setting the boat on fire. Oh, yeah, no, that boat's going to burn. <laughs> All right, so, so what, are, what are some cool plot hooks that can uh, pull along that lawful neutral character? Uh, so I like the idea that your code is sacred, but you've broken it. So now you need to prove that you can be redeemed uh, or prove that you can adhere or, or make up for that violation. I love the short-term little like uh, crisis of conscience for the lawful neutral character who like for the first time in their life has sort of like broken the rules. And now I've suddenly gone, wait a minute, have I been misled? Should I be out there enjoying the fruits of chaos? Should I be joining a bacchanal? And then like at one night uh, of a, like a, a big binge, they're like, oh no, no, that's not for me. That's yeah. oh, <laughs> my head hurts way too much. <laughs> I feel like this is a recurring L5R plot. <laughs> if you've got a lawful neutral character who is interested in sort of spreading the gospel of civilization, there are plenty of opportunities out there in the wilds for them to do that. Uh, maybe some people want to go adventure to gain gold or to search for a cure to a plague. The lawful neutral character may just want to actually like bring the wheel and like running water to, you know, the hobgoblins. Right. If we just teach this, this goblin cave, um, how to trade like civilized folk, they wouldn't have to rob our fields every autumn. Yes, the easiest way to get rid of the raiders is to incorporate them into your growth plan. Right. <laughs> Likewise for lawful neutral is, um, you know, you can play on the theme of something that is uh, too corrupt to allow to exist, right? Like the, the law has been tainted by uh, one person's corruption. So um, could be something like the prince is leveraging his authority unjustly. Um, and that's harming the entire realm. So as a lawful neutral character, you, of course, have to work within the establishment. You can't just overthrow the prince. That would be utter chaos. But if you can work within the establishment to um, excise, like, you know, his private police or whatever it is that's causing this problem, then you can fix the realm without destroying it. And, you know, there's probably no character in the party that is better equipped to do that without throwing the entire kingdom into chaos. I'm a barrister after all, good sir. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, sure, we could just go murder him. <laughs> but then what would happen to our way of life? Yeah, I also like the idea that maybe the lawful neutral character is the one who is sort of the most offended by the prince's actions. You know, uh, maybe he stole the election and subverted the will of the people, which is the whole reason that like this society exists in the first place. Well, if he was elected prince, I mean, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, we name lots of lots of interesting things, okay? Yeah. Hey, I didn't vote for him. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame me. <laughs> it, he's, his name is, is Prince. We elected Prince we as elected president. Prince. Oh, yeah. right, yeah. Which, I mean, how could he lose? Right. <laughs> well, he's a lich now, so. <laughs> so how could he lose? <laughs> for some reason, he wants to get rid of term limits. I think that might be a bad idea. <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, like one last plot hook that, uh, you know, was good enough to make a very bad movie out of is the idea that the authority has found me to be in violation of the law uh, wrongly. And now I must clear my name and punish those who abuse their authority to do this to me, like suss out the conspiracy and bring it to justice. Yeah, this is a nice tug of war, an internal tug of war for the character, because all right, maybe they feel like they should submit to lawful authority and they should let the process play out, but they know that the people who actually did it are going to get away and no one is looking for them because the authorities have focused all of their attention on you. Mm -hmm. All right, so the only thing that I can do in order to actually bring things to order to like uh, make sure that justice wins out in the end is to break the law, go on the run, find them on my own. Yeah, like me and Rob Schneider, we're going to break out of this prison ship. <laughs> we're going to kill the mutant cannibals in the wastes. We're going to sneak illegally back in and then uncover the plot and destroy it. You know, say what you will about mutant cannibals, but like their jurisprudence, second to none. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, pal. <laughs> uh, this is, yeah, this is basically the basis for uh, an entire um, campaign of someone who is forced outside their comfort zone. It doesn't mean that they've given up their principles in any way. They just understand that in the short term, weirdly, this is the best way to be the most lawful. Right. So to kind of wrap this up, Ishan, do you have any experience playing lawful neutral characters? Oh, yeah. Solomon the Stag was lawful neutral. He was my very favorite character of all time. And that was because, you know, he went along with the party doing all these good things and saving the multiverse. But man, did he complain about it all the time. (laughs) Conscientious objector over here. (laughs) Um, You know, and made fun of other people, um, you know, yell at them and called them names, uh, you know, but still helped them out because like, this is the party, right? And like, we are in the grand scheme of things doing the right thing, even if you're all a bunch of goody two shoes. Mm-hmm. Like, you can be the grumpy lawful neutral. You don't necessarily have to be uh, prissy. The the gung ho lawful neutral. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you? Well, like I said at the top, I mean, I think uh, I think the Silver Flame Inquisitor brand from the Morning Glory campaign definitely like tended towards neutral good and lawful neutral um like he very much was not lawful good right but he definitely kind of had aspects of both um and that was a a big part of like his end game right was once he discovered what was going on within the church of the silver flame like it, it fell incumbent upon him to purify it because that was a corruption of everything that like he had been raised to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll add that, like, I really do love lawful neutral characters as sort of the epitome of competence. Like they're so focused on being good at the thing that they do that they just don't really have time for anything else. <laughs> right. The the best darn beat cop on this block. Or, you know, investigator or baker or, you know, jouster, whatever it is, shipwright. Right. Yeah, there's a there's an element of personal discipline that falls into lawful neutral as well. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? That must be the cries of the goblin tribe. Very excited to see us. I'm sure they will soon be joining our trade caravan. Well, if we're adding some new PCs, then it's time to move on to the character creation forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week, the show is also brought to you by Kobold Press, our friends at Kobold Press. Uh, Midgard Sagas is a new collection of 5th edition adventures from Kobold Press set in the dark fantasy world of Midgard. Yep, the book contains adventures for characters from levels 3 to 8, and all of them are designed to be played in 4 to 6 hours, packed with action. A bunch of one-shots, right? A grip of one-shots. A grip, a whole, a whole cluster. So players fight their way through clockwork guards to save the city from a mad saboteur. The midnight bomber, what bombs at midnight? That's how he knows. He knows what time those bombs need to go off because it's got the clockwork guards. Right. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you think they have clocks on their chests or in their faces? Their faces are clocks. That's what I think. And oh. the, hand, the hands are at uh, four and seven to look like a mustache. Oh, charming. Yeah. So then they have the little, like, uh, the chronometer eyes. Is that how it is? Oh, oh, I like that. And they uh, they flip over maybe each second. <laughs> Lovely. That's creepy. Just one of them, though, right? The other one only flips every hour. <laughs> <laughs> right. Back to Midgard Sagas. Uh, you can also execute a daring heist at a posh nightclub or explore the ruins of an ancient elven city. Now, imagine how ancient an ancient elven city has to be forever. (laughs) Uh, Why is it that elven cities are often in ruins? Uh, Is it because they're chaotic? Is it because they they don't know anything about good governance? That's that's why, I think. I think it's because they don't have... I I mean, yes, because they're chaotic. They don't have good building codes. (laughs) Right. We made this out of wood because we we sung it out of the tree. Right, but it was only an 800-year, like 
structural integrity when they obviously should have been planning for much longer like the dwarves. Right. Certainly not built to last. You know, humans have built roads that lasted 2,500 years. What are these elves doing? Uh Uh-huh. Ridiculous. You can also avert war with the dust goblins of the wastelands. Battle a brain-eating menace from space and more. So visit coboldpress.com to learn more. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Hardhead. So what is a Hardhead, Ishan? Well, we reviewed Ravnica last week. Uh-huh. Uh, and there were some complaints, a few of them levied by me, um, that we now have this uh, setting that's a big old city with a bunch of different, I don't know, maybe you call them factions. Uh-huh. Uh, but we kind of already have that in Planescape, and I was a little bit worried and still am a tiny bit worried that some of the attention will be pulled away from Planescape and instead be focused on Magic the Gathering and Ravnica. So we decided to build a character from Planescape because, man, the Order Domain Cleric subclass from Ravnica is really, really good. It's so fun. It's it's kind of amazing. It, it's a Cleric Domain that we were missing but i didn't realize we had been missing it right i didn't realize it could be this dope (laughs) right like the cleric who tells you what to do uh, it's like all right that sounds fine i guess those are those boring gods right but like this person knows what's up right exactly all right so a hardhead uh is a term for someone who's part of the uh planescape faction called the harmonium They believe that order brings the greatest good to the greatest number. Although over like hundreds of years, that sort of evolved into like order above all else. They're really just sort of focused on the law and that's it. And they are Sigil's police force. They operate in squads patrolling the city. Uh, They also really hate being called hardheads, but people call them that, of course, because you can't really reason with them. They're very stubborn. And it's not illegal. It's not illegal. I'm just calling you a hardhead. (laughs) It's also not illegal for me to arrest you for no reason. (laughs) So what's the bill? It is Order Cleric 11, Conquest Paladin 3, Cavalier Fighter 6. So from Cleric, we get 6th level spells, but 7th level slots. Uh, we get some cool domain spells because the Order Domain is cool. We get Hold Person. Zone of Truth is great for telling if suspects are telling lies. You get Dominate Person for making suspects do what you need them to do. Yeah, that's just handy in a fight, I think. Uh, you get heavy armor and then your choice of intimidation or persuasion. You also get the voice of authority ability, which lets you um, have an ally that you've targeted with a first level spell or higher make a weapon attack as a reaction. This is nice because the hardheads often travel in groups, you know. So if you've got a group of hardheads together, each time one of them casts a healing spell or a mass healing spell or bless or something like that, another one of them is going to make an attack. Mm hmm. It's also super useful to use on the party's rogue because he gets an extra sneak attack. (laughs) Or the party's barbarian because, oh my God, he hits so hard. Right. Uh, You got a couple channel divinity options. You've got a mass charm, which is actually really nice because if you want anyone who ends up charmed by that, uh, you can force them to drop all of their held items. Now, picking things up is not a problem in 5th edition, but if you do that right before your allies attack, you can make someone drop their weapon or their shield. Their shield, yeah. Or their implement. (laughs) Right. And then at level six, you can quicken an enchantment spell wisdom mod times per day, which is wonderful because hold person and hold monster are both enchantment spells. Then as the melee cleric, you'll also get divine strike, which lets you add an extra 1d8 psychic damage to your melee attacks. Uh, And then at level 10, you'll get divine intervention. I mean, you get a small chance, but, you know, roll those dice, right? You've been praying to St. Cuthbert for a reason. Right. So Conquest Paladin will get you Divine Sense. Which is really handy to locate all those fiends and celestials and random elementals or whatever who normally hang around uh, in Sigil. You're probably Those are probably the people that you are hunting down anyway. You'll also get the usual Lay on Hands and Paladin Smite, which of course we love for adding more damage. You get your choice of a fighting style, probably here Defense or Protection. Um, and the probably the coolest oath spell that you get is Armor of Agathis, which is really nice in melee combat. So I think that actually that fighting style is interesting. Um, is an interesting choice for a PC because an NPC hardhead in a squad of hardheads would never take protection because you need that reaction. But a PC hardhead 
definitely wants protection because you don't have a use for your reaction unless there's other order clerics running around with you. You got more channel divinity options. These are competing, but you've just got, you know, options depending on on, uh, the particular situation. You've got a mass frighten, and then there's guided strike, which is a plus 10 to an attack. So then from cavalier fighter, uh, we're going to get another fighting style. So go ahead, take the other one. You get action surge. Now, this basically means that you've got really great action economy because you can uh, quicken mass hold monster or hold person and then attack with a smite. Well, actually, double attack uh, crit smite because they're paralyzed and then action surge, double attack crit smite, which should be enough to take out most people. Mm -hmm. Uh, At level three, the cavalier can mark... And then you can uh, counterattack with a bonus action on the next round. Strength mod number of times per day. Again, great in a group of hardheads. And then you'll pick up that extra attack. Finally. So in terms of leveling order, I think you want to start with Cleric 6, then get your Paladin levels, then your Fighter levels, uh, then finish out Cleric. So Shane, who is your hardhead? Because of the Cavalier Fighter um, in this build, it actually makes a very good tank as well, like kind mm-hmm. of a, a tank warlord type build. Uh, so I think my hardhead is actually a shield maiden um, or shield man, I suppose, but somebody who carries a giant shield uh, at the front of the line in order to prevent... Uh, the majority of enemies, like in a in a phalanx, from being able to penetrate, um, and allowing like people with ranged attacks or people with uh, like reach weapons, you know that sort of thing, um, allowing them to like get their uh, attacks off uh, from relative safely. Now, how does this fit into an order cleric? Well. If you were, say, uh, a cleric of a deity who believed in war, um, order is also an important part of winning wars, is it not? (laughs) Like, do not armies only hold together when they can maintain their ranks? Um, So it kind of makes sense that the ones that stand at the front lines uh, are the ones who must have the most faith in in being protected by their deity, but also like the most faith in order itself being maintained behind them or else they'll certainly be flanked and, and fall. So he is the blunt point of the spear. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the blunt, blunt point of the battering ram. As ah, it were. Okay. Yeah. How about your hardhead? So my hardhead is a war veteran. Um, she was well decorated in some sort of, um, glorious battles that are now over because the war was won. Uh, but when she tried to return to mainstream society, she found that, you know, she really preferred the the hierarchy, the clear directives of uh, the army. So when she joins an adventuring company, because of course, what do out-of-work veterans do but join adventuring companies? She treats it like uh, like her old army squad. She treats them, even though the rest of them are, you know, flighty archers and, you know, random weird wizards who are only interested in strange magical creature reagents. Uh, She still treats them as part of her squad, orders them around. Uh, Even when she heals them, she insists that they they attack. Um, She, uh, you know, sticks her uh, shield in front of their faces so that the wizard doesn't get um, hit in the face while he's trying to cast his spells. Um, Probably still refers to them by by rank even though they don't have any ranks but you know they've just gotten used to being you know called private uh although the barbarian wonders why he's the private and you know the the archer is a a sergeant even though neither of them has actually ever served in an army Mm -hmm. but really she's just playing favorites and of course unlike the army she actually gets to be the one in charge this time she goes by general oh (laughs) (laughs) All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. uh, And if you do that, that helps other people find us, and we will read your review on the air. Like this one. This is Great for DMs and Players Alike by Iron Man 1231. 
I recently binge listened to every episode in the back catalog of Total Party Thrill, and I have to say, I'm sad I'm done. Shane and Ishan give actionable advice for both DMs and players, along with providing inspiration for character creation. I've already recommended to my players to listen to the show, knowing there's tons for them to take away. Oh, they're going to get all those spoilers, those players. Uh, There is no higher praise than recommending the show to a friend, so thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Tell them to skip the parts where we say, hey, make things up. You should make a lot of things up. (laughs) All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about high-level play. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building Jack Frost. Well, that's it for episode 175 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Genuine Fantasy Press. They're giving away a free version of the new book, The Compendium of Forgotten Secrets, Awakening, at GenuineFantasyPress.com. So, The Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening is a new book for 5th edition D&D that covers a lot of new options and plot hooks for warlocks. It's warlock heavy. You know, my warlocks anyway tend to be very heavy. Portly. (laughs) Full of secrets. All the player content is included in the free version that's 125 pages worth that you can get right now at GenuineFantasyPress.com. There are 34 new subclasses, 17 new warlock patrons and familiars, over 175 new spells and invocations, 10 new races, and dozens of campaign hooks. That's over 190 pages of new content. Uh, 125 of which is free. It's designed to work with both classic and homebrew settings and gives you new ideas for your world and game. It's got beautiful full-color artwork and is available internationally in hardcover on Amazon. So again, you can download the free first 125 pages at GenuineFantasyPress.com, Inspiring Adventure.